I'm Frederick Gerten, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. So this is like, we're rolling again. We're rolling again. Here we and, are. And uh, it's, it's in the darkness of winter, and, and you're, you're really lonely, Leilani? You were like, like really lonely this week? I'm lonely this morning in particular. No dog. No dog. I sent my dog away. <laughs> There's other loneliness. The loneliness of leadership. For sure. But uh, no, but without the dog, it's doubly lonely. No bean. But you're the global director of the shift. And before you were the UN special rapporteur on adequate housing. But you, uh, since I know you, you basically mostly worked by yourself in this bunker in Ottawa you're talking from. This is like your place when you're, I mean, because you before you were traveling a lot. So how is this? Don't you have a big office with a lot of people? Well, (laughs) it's not that I don't have some people, uh, but we're all scattered around the world, the shift, the shifters. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's it's been a lot of time in my basement since the pandemic struck, for sure, in my bunker, as you call it. Uh, But the shift is growing. We've got some people. They're just not here with me. And what's cooking right now? Something kind of exciting, actually. Um, We were approached by the Open Society Foundation. For those of you who know it, it's George Soros's uh, baby, shall we say, because it became clear to a bunch of us that governments are struggling with this pandemic and not doing what they should do to protect the right to housing for tenants and people living in homelessness and in informal settlements. So we came together and we have crafted model emergency right to housing legislation and we're about to launch it. So it's pretty exciting and we're hoping advocates will use it and you know to try to push their governments to to get better legislation and that maybe some governments will find it interesting and adopt some of the provisions if not the whole thing. So it's pretty cool. And you're a lawyer so legislation is something you I mean it's kind of important to have laws on your side I guess. I mean for all of us and Yeah. And it's pretty fun to try to invent them. I mean, it's not very often you get to sit down and just like write some law. It was it was a it was a tough it was a tough process because there was a whole group of us working together and everyone has different ideas, but it was fun. And and it's you see how possible it is to to craft really cool, good legislation to protect people. Wow. So this is what we all should do. We should do more laws. Uh, we should all get into, uh, maybe it might be a bit too late for me to, to become a lawyer. But anyway, I can, I can still make my films. Um, so I'm the film director, you're, but you're like the global director. And now we are going to talk to a young woman who is the deputy director of The Shift. And this is a woman we know since before. But first of all, we're going to go all the way back to Barcelona, to the first meeting of the shift, which we actually can see and push the film. It was really, really incredible to see you and Ada there. You don't get that often. See two women, children, and and to have that moment too, where you can talk about your kids and like. 
talk about changing the world from one breath to another is not something you see. It feels like it was so tiny. Before we got here. And then now it's like... It's like the mayor of Barcelona is maybe going to pitch this to the mayor of New York. Mayor of London. So the question is, the big question, Drew, are you up for it? <laughs> no, I'm up for it. <laughs> Julieta Peruca, welcome to Pushback Talks. Hi, thank you so, so much for having me. Uh, emotional moments in Barcelona. And, and I apologize the bad sound because we actually had taken off the law mics and we were like done with the shoot and you were drinking wine. Leilani went off crying because <laughs> and but then when we I saw the situation because we were shooting some other uh, stuff around that square and I thought Shit, this is actually a very nice situation and so I asked the crew to come back but then with only with a boom mic and you were like summing up a day uh, at this meeting in Barcelona, with, with meeting with the mayor Ada Colau and a lot of other important people, it was like a big relief. Both of you have moved somewhere. So, you, do you remember that day, Julie? I mean, I don't think I'll ever forget that day, <laughs> despite being jet lagged. I think I had just arrived. I only knew I was going to Barcelona 24 hours beforehand. I had just arrived. We had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, I don't think. I mean, absolutely no idea. And I mean, after going through this incredible day with Ada Kalau and, and seeing Leilani really in action for the first time, because that was the first trip I've ever taken with Leilani, I think that night those tears were just kind of an expression of the awe that I had for, for Leilani, for our work, for everything. Cool. It was, and it was really. I mean, I and it was the first time I met you. I know, I knew that that you, Leilani, had an assistant sitting in Ottawa, helping her to book her totally crazy life. And then suddenly, she invited you to Barcelona, which was actually very smart because you were also direct translating the the, the, the into Spanish because you are Argentinian from from uh, from birth. Uh, uh, so it was you had a you had a very cool role to play also at this this top top meeting that happened in in Barcelona. Incredible in role! I think I got to sit in one of the fanciest lunches I've ever had because I had to translate for Leilani, which I don't think anybody would have had that opportunity to do had it not been for those skills. But man, did I learn a lot as well! Full of emotion, thinking back to those days and that particular trip. Um, I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about the clip that you played is, um, you know, I never consider myself to be a role model for anyone. I, I don't think about the fact that I'm doing all this with children and that I'm a woman and that that means something. And uh, Julieta brought that home to me. Um, 
I mean, of course, one doesn't want to be, I don't ever want to be self-conscious and like, I'm the role model. That's so ridiculous. And if you saw how I led my life, I'm, of course, no role model for anyone. Um, So in that way, it's like, I mean, I, my work habits are crazy. My um, lack of engagement with my family when I'm traveling is bad. Like, there's so many things that I am not a role model. So, uh, but it was, it, there was a moment there for me where I realized, okay, even if I resist that, young women see me differently than I see myself. And that's super important. And I have to take that very seriously. It was a real moment for me at the time. And then watching the film, of course, I've seen it many times now. Uh, Every time I see that, I'm like, right. There's something really important about the relationship between younger women and older women who are trying to make it in the world and try to make a difference in the world. How did you see that when you how how did you get the job with Leilani in the first place, uh, Julie? Oh my goodness! I just answered an Indeed ad. She put up a posting on the internet uh, for an administrative assistance and finance person, and I had just moved to Ottawa. I had just moved back from finishing my law degree in the Netherlands, and I we had professors that were special rapporteurs in my law school. I knew how prestigious the position was. And I also knew that I was never going to get a job in human rights because that's what everybody had told me forever. So I saw this position to be an administrative assistant for a UN special rapporteur. And I thought, for I think it was for 10 hours a week. And I thought, I'm going to apply for this job and I am I am going to do everything I can to make myself indispensable. <laughs> and, and... I had already done all of the interviews. Julieta and I still dispute this. I still say she submitted her application late. (laughs) (laughs) But in any event, I'd already interviewed everyone. And then this application came in. And I was like, interesting. She had a background in um, European human rights law, which I know nothing about. Uh, And then the name, Julieta Peruca. I just... There was something. And then when I interviewed her, she was super nervous in the cutest way. And we clicked. I think we just clicked. I just knew immediately this was this was going to be good. I didn't know how good. I didn't know how good. <laughs> mm. And from the film, from the filmmaker's perspective, that's my perspective. Uh, you know, we were we I understood that this was a scene for like the, the later end of the film. And how do you end the film and you know and I could really feel that you came in Julie with with energy and hope in some way maybe it's a little bit naive in some way for us to put it like that but but you know we we dive into so much darkness doing these kind of films so we need light and you you became a part of that light in in many ways and and as I I met audiences all over the world, and a lot of I mean everybody is inspired by Leilani, but a lot of young people also get inspired by you because you enter the scene and you you take a space and you I mean later on in the film you in, in there is a scene from New York in the very end of the film you say why language is so important you speak straight into the very heart of the film and the very heart of the mission that you are working on now in the shift so. That's really cool. So thank you for being you, Julie. Uh, and it's so cool to have you here. Uh, this week, or I mean this week, the week we are doing this podcast, we, because we're recording one week in advance, you are uh, doing the, the first, very first mission of the shift. 
and it's a mission to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, not only is it the first mission that the shift is doing, which is really exciting, to the metropolitan area of Buenos Aires, which I think accounts for about 30% of the entire population of the country, but it's also actually a virtual human rights mission, which I think is the first of its kind, right, Leilani? I think so. I, I mean, let's, the pandemic forces it. Let's call it the first it. in time in history. Don't be shy. I mean, uh, if some other will claim that title, let them come and talk to us. That's this right. is the very first digital mission in the human rights history. <laughs> I think that's say. right. But we've managed, I, like I mean, it's been incredible. We've managed to do site visits via Zoom. We have videographers on the ground doing some taping for us. We've gotten together experts of all different kinds to come together on roundtables, many of which are public and available on YouTube. So tell me, uh, how, how would a day look like? Uh, indeed, how, I mean, a site visit. What is a site visit? So we've done three site visits. Uh, basically, we log in to Zoom, much like we're doing right now. Uh, and then we have one of our partners on the ground who has his phone. And he basically takes us through communities, allows us to speak to residents, through his phone and we have a couple of translators that are also logged into the zoom platform and are doing simultaneous translation and then yeah we're just kind of seeing it as if we were in a in a real-time zoom call on the ground or or like you did in the old time when you actually went to people's home and and you had a lot of meetings with local residents i mean that's what i've seen you doing uh, Leilani, in your work, and sometimes together mm -hmm. with you, when you actually go from house to house, you meet active residents, you meet normal people, you know, you 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 really try to go all the way out in the society, all to the all edges. It's been interesting because, of course, we worried about um, how effective it would be, how real it would seem when you're doing everything using iPhones and it's all mediated through a lens and all of that. And I've been um, surprised at one, how emotional it, the content is still very emotional. I mean, whether you're talking to someone through Zoom or not, and they are losing their home or about to lose their home because they're so indebted um, because of crazy um, mortgage rates, interest rates, uh, or, you know, it's the emotion is still there. And maybe even more importantly, the residents have indicated that talking to us has been hugely important to them. And I didn't know if they would feel that with all this mediated conversation through technology. Um, but they still feel that they're being listened to and maybe for the first time and certainly for the first time by an international human rights team. And so that's really important to me because that's what we want to do with these missions with our work is to, to provide a platform for people who don't otherwise have a voice who where you know these are people who are on the margins of society no one is listening to them especially not governments and we're trying to make that happen so i've been super happy that 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 the residents seem really like they're they're getting their chance hmm. and and julie can you can you update us on what is the situation in argentina right now I mean, what is the because i mean we, 
we know that financialization is a story all over the world. I mean, it's, there's a lot of things going on, but of course, there's a lot, also a lot of specifics of, of every country. So give us an update on, on the situation in, in Argentina. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm by no means an expert on, on the situation in Argentina, but I can tell you a little bit about some of the problems that we've heard about in Buenos Aires, and I think they're, they're pretty massive. Um, because you have some terrible crises kind of coming together. So not only the pandemic, but you have an inflation crisis, a homelessness crisis, and a really pervasive housing uh, crisis that are all just kind of bubbling and ready to explode. Um, I think I think one of the most shocking things that we've heard um, that I thought has been really interesting is in 27, in 2016, they opened a mortgage market, uh, a mortgage market for people that were low and middle income so that they could actually access housing for the first time and become homeowners. But the mortgages are actually tied to inflation rate. So we're seeing now about 25,000 households that have taken these mortgages out that are basically subprime mortgages or kind of predatory mortgages that will have experienced a terrible increase in their mortgage payments due to inflation. So we're talking about 40% increases, 60% increases. So where they were paying 2,000, say, pesos, they now have to pay 5,000 pesos, which of course is impossible for so many people living on teacher salaries, police salaries, etc. It's all the people who run the city that have these mortgages. It's teachers, nurses, they said, firefighters, literally police officers, all of the people who are necessary for a city. And what made it so predatory, at least, and Julieta, you tell me if you agree, was that they were sold, literally they were sold a dream. They were told, you will have security if you take one of these mortgages because you will be a home owner and then your children will have security and they sold them this dream and n none of the people who took the mortgages understood really they thought there might be single digit inflation you know 2% 3% that's like what we experience in uh developed countries you know what they're experiencing as Julieta just said is double digit in one case they said there was 100% inflation so I mean, imagine that. And then in the middle of a pandemic, now there's a decree saying, okay, no one will, will lose their home as a result of um, a mortgage uh, arrears during the pandemic, but the decree will be lifted. And then what? I mean, that you could feel the terror that these single mothers, young families were feeling as they were talking to us. It's really, I agree with Julieta, that's been the most stark thing that we've seen, I think, or the most surprising I can tell you, I mean, I, I did a film in, in Buenos Aires, Metropolitan also, uh, 15 years ago. It's called An Ordinary Family. So where I actually, this is after the big financial crisis in 2001, where, where the Argentinian economy totally fell down and, and they locked the banks. People's bank accounts got locked up. Their bank machines were locked People are protesting outside the banks to get... Some people have moved back from the UK, 30 years in the UK, and put all the money into the bank. And now they could... They, what they in the end got out was like a percentage of their savings, like 30% of their savings. And the banks or the government stole the rest of it. 
And what I took out from that experience is that the middle class, you know, the the class that we which we want to build a society on in many ways, can never be as smart as the big. You know, they can't they can't move money out somewhere. They have to de- they are depending on the system that is on the ground in a the country. They have to trust the government, and this is and and this is happening all over the world because when the the stock market goes down, boom, who's losing and who's winning, you know, because, I mean, we talk about Blackstone a lot here. I mean, they know exactly how to move and when to move. Uh, you know, a, a, a policeman or a teacher or, or somebody like ourselves, you know, we are, there is no way for us to protect ourselves. We are a part of the system. It's a lot of, I mean, Argentinians have more experience of this in the history than most other countries in the world, because I've been there during hyperinflation in the 90s you know so they've experienced everything but still if this if the state puts up a program and you trust it then you you should you shouldn't be left with a 60 percent uh increase of your mortgage well that's that's what makes these loans even more predatory because people really and i can tell you from my family's experience people don't trust in any way of saving their money except putting it into housing. It's the only way that you can kind of preserve the value of your money. But one of the other um, conditions of these mortgages is if you actually have a mortgage, you're no longer able to buy dollars at the official exchange rate in official markets. So if you are no longer able to buy dollars, you also have no way of savings because pesos obviously are devaluing by the second. So it becomes really, it becomes a really complex, but a really um, efficient way to keep people in poverty. So now you're there with the shift, you're meeting a lot of people, you're setting up panels. So what is the response? Is there a response coming from you now to the, to the Argentinian government? What is the message? Well, we have to meet with the Argentinian government, which is coming up. Uh, so we haven't yet um, had th- that opportunity. Um, I think that they will be open to hearing from us. Frankly, I do. I mean, this is a government that's a little more open to this kind of conversation than uh, Macri's government. Um You know, there was a really huge eviction. So a lot of people really... The what I call the refugees of COVID, the refugees of COVID have been occupying lands in in and around uh, Buenos Aires, so in the AMBA area. And I mean, we're talking about women who are experiencing domestic violence. We're talking about um, the poorest people, people who simply have nowhere to live, have occupied lands, put tents up. There was a one really large one called Guernica, uh, 1400 families, very organized. They had organized themselves into neighborhoods. They were um, helping each other survive survive this pandemic and survive on these lands, which are very dangerous lands, actually. Uh, And there was a huge eviction um, with 6,000 police that came to dismantle these homes and right in the middle of negotiations. It was really very terrible. When was this? Quite Um, recently? Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. And the shift wrote a statement. We were we knew we were coming to Buenos Aires for the mission uh, for the visit, and we thought we better, uh, with Julieta leading, we said we better write a statement. So uh, Julieta worked with local um, organizations, human rights organizations, and we wrote a statement and we put it out there. And I think that our statement was heard by government. And Julieta, maybe you can weigh in on that a little bit because you know more than I do. But um, I think there's a sense that 
um, the government is listening and they know things have gone sideways. Yeah, I'm not too sure how much I, sh I should weigh in from what I've been told, but I've heard that there has been a, a recent um, ministry reshuffle, particularly for the Minister of Housing, and we may have played a role in that. Um, amongst, it's, it was also kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, I think, after uh, several months of mismanagement, particularly from the Ministry of Housing in Argentina. But I think what's really interesting for, I mean, for our discussion around these occupations of lands is that the reason why they're being so forcibly evicted is because there's actually private actors that are coming in and buying these kind of dangerous lands or lands in waste, waste dumps um, and actually creating gated communities on them or, or they're buying them with the intent of creating gated communities because they know that these lands is where they can actually have the highest profit margin. So it's the same lands that people who have absolutely nowhere to go actually go to occupy. And then the private market is now buying up these lands and it's creating this terrible tension between private markets and the most elite in the country, as well as obviously the most disadvantaged with the most need. And then I, I also know from Argentina that a lot of the new people coming into the big city are people who are being evicted from the countryside because the the soya business is so big and they are like grabbing land from small farmers who don't maybe don't have the the papers on the land and so on so so actually there's a big influx of of people into town yeah. because of the the global agro business which is a growing business uh, we've been talking about that in relation to Oatly and others you know the agribusiness is can be nice but it can also be extremely brutal and, and in Argentina you can totally see that yeah. and and when I was filming in Argentina 50, 15 years ago there was a lot of occupations in the old factory because there is like miles after miles of miles of of abandoned factories outside Buenos Aires because the, the textile industry was so strong and now there's a lot of old structures lying there and people are moving in and, and try to do organize things. But of course, at one moment, there will be some owner coming out and, 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 and to, to kick them out. And I guess that is what's happening now. Yeah. We were told that um, Buenos Aires is now, uh, its, urban, uh, its urban density is at 92%. So in other words, nine, like, it, it's, hu it's hugely urbanized uh, area. So as you said, uh, Frederick, it's all those agriculture workers moving into the city as they lose their employment. And they also told us that there are two main industries, soya and real estate. Those are the that's what's driving in driving the economy. And I put economy in quotes because I think a lot of the real estate stuff is happening outside of formal the uh, formal economy and is certainly part of um, sort of corrupt economies uh, that 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 happen on parallel in Argentina. It's um, yeah. yeah. And you talked about um also conflicts inside is the classical city of Buenos Aires in, in the, the in the famous uh, quarters of uh, Retiro and Puerto Madero and so on. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I also find incredibly surprising from this visit is um, learning that the government is willing to upgrade informal settlements that are found within these very classical, wealthy neighbor neighborhoods of Buenos Aires, like Retiro or, or Puerto Madero. 
And they're upgrading these informal settlements and creating apartment buildings for people to go to in, in situ on site. Uh, but the people are actually going to be able to sell the apartments within five years. And then the government, they have to first offer the apartment to the government, but then the government can sell it off to private actors. So it seems to me like there, and I might be speculating here, but there seems to me like there's a vested interest for the government to upgrade those informal settlements in wealthy neighborhoods, knowing that in five or 10 years time, those apartment buildings can go into the speculative private market. And that then all of the residents of these neighborhoods will be pushed out. Yeah, I think that's the intention. I have to say, Julieta and Julieta and I haven't had a chance to confer. So that's interesting. We reached the same conclusion. Um, I think that there's just so much pressure the real estate pressure in Buenos Aires is very strong. And I think with this uh, community being really adjacent to one of the most affluent communities in Buenos Aires, the pressure will be felt daily, I think. Um, so for sure, they're, they're making it a community that could turn into an affluent community. Mm. So tell tell me about the resistance, uh, Julie. What is the, how? I mean, Argentina is a, is a country with a lot of strong social movements uh, since always. So how 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 is these movements reacting right now? Yeah, I, I I've been amazed. I mean, the people, the communities are so incredibly organized. I'm and and we've seen it through the pandemic. I mean, we've seen uh, community members, feminist movements, for example. Um, really organizing within these popular neighborhoods, Los Barrios Populares, and providing food services for people who don't have them, providing providing information on the pandemic, providing support to uh, women and children experiencing violence. But specifically around the right to housing, I think it's worth noting that Argentina has a pretty excellent constitutional framework. We have a constitutional right to housing. The city of Buenos Aires has a city charter that actually um, also enshrines the right to housing and the progressive realization of the right to housing. And I think the the organizers on the ground have been amazing at using this legal framework and really organizing around the obligations that the government owes them. So I, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's been so impressive to me, but it's, so it's not only lawyers working together, but it's also urban planners working together, architects working together. Um, what Leilani said about the occupied territory of Guernica, they actually had a whole urban plan for that for that territory. So they had planned out streets, they had planned out green spaces, and they had worked with architects and city planners to be able to give the government a model for what they needed out of that space. And that's that's kind of the process that they were out of negotiations before they were forcibly and violently evicted. Hmm. And what, what is the situation right now? So they're, they're just empty spaces now, or? Just empty space. But, but they said that they will continue to fight. I mean, it's again this... 
these you know people being sold something and believing so strongly they the the residents of Guernica believed they would be able to stay there they were in negotiations with the government the government had said a certain number of families would be able to stay and so um there's a I love the resistance that I've seen so far in in Buenos Aires it, because it's based on a notion of um what should be and and that's based in the human right to housing but it's this very very strong like we should have this land it we should be able to dream about a home and for our children to have a decent home and that really drives a lot of the um it's imbe- it's really ingrained in them this sense of that they should be able to dream and those dreams should become real and i really love that because that has a different quality that has a such a strong emotional quality that can really make change If now the listeners of Pushback Talks would like to know more about your Argentina missions, is there a website that can they go somewhere to find out more? Because it's like there is, we are dropping a lot of interesting stuff. Is, is, do you put something up here on? Tell us. Yeah, so we're going to have something. We're, we're having daily updates on Twitter, so you can follow at uh, make underscore the shift as well as Leilani's Twitter um, at Leilani Farha, I think. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> and then we're also going to be uploading our final report on our website, which is www.maketheshift.org. And I would also uh, strongly recommend people follow our partners ASIJ, A-C-I-J, and CEAPI, C-E-A-P-I. They're both incredible organizations working on the ground. I, I really can't speak highly enough about them. We will put the information up on the blurb around the If you go to the web, to this podcast, and we will try to put addresses out. Yeah, and we're hoping to create some video, video like a, a short, a few short videos of the visit, so people can actually see and get a sense of the communities, and also the sense of your work, of course. So now, uh, Julie, we started off when you, you know, you just hired for ten hours a week. <laughs> and then you suddenly landed in Barcelona, and then we met in. in in Seoul, Korea, we met in New York, and then we met at the premiere in Copenhagen, then in Toronto, you know, we and suddenly now you're the deputy director of the shift, you're based in, in Geneva, Switzerland, and you're leading a mission to your parents' home country, Argentina. How, how is it? You're doing fine. I'm, I I don't know. I, I am the luckiest girl in the entire world. I, I, I don't know how I got to be so lucky. I mean, aside from what you've said, I've had the possibility to go to COP25 and COP26. We're now leading work on, on right to housing and climate change. I, and I've been able to learn from possibly the best teacher that there is. I... I didn't know anything about the right to housing before this, and Leilani, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm so lucky and eternally grateful. She's so lucky. This is a woman, a young woman who works 12 hours at least every day, day in and day out, even on weekends. So as lucky as she says she is, it's because of her incredible, inc- honestly, I've not seen such commitment and, and, and not just that she's committed, she's really good at what she does. So she is driving the shift forward um, and, and re- working so hard. So for all of the amazingness of it, Julieta, you know how hard it is. <laughs> Are you actually saying it's good to work 12 hours a day? 
Is that what you're telling no. young girls out there? No, no, of course not. No, it's like, come <laughs> on, work-life balance you, is key. But at you the should same tell time, Julie, the... have a break, drink wine. Yes, we do that. Not acceptable. I mean, uh, sometimes we we can we should work long hours. It also happens to me. Yeah. But we should also not only praise uh, to work the asses. You know, it's too much. So anyway, I'm... no, it's it is too much. But that while while it's too much, I have to say, I mean, when there is hope and when you feel like you can make change, even the smallest amount of change, it's really hard to insert some work life balance because that's what you want to do. I mean, you want to make these dreams come true. So that's cool. Yeah. And and uh, you know, and Argentina has a very special place in my heart. And you, I, I, I will send you. I mean, you can go to the wgfilm.com website and there are all of my, my old films, but look for An Ordinary Family. Uh, the family ended up losing their home uh, and the, all the money they could get from their home was five airplane tickets to Spain, one-way tickets. And it was a big, big, big house with a big, big, big garden. Uh, so it's and and this was a family that the guy was a CEO of an oil company. He got fired. He lost the job in the crisis, and then he started up a little small company in the travel business. And in the end, he was selling uh, sunglasses at the at the at the at the street crossings. And in the end, they had to leave the country with nothing. So it's it's. Uh, and I, I can really say this, that the middle class is, and of course, the poor class are always even worse. But, but if you want to build a society based on, 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 on a class that is educating kids to go on and, and, and grow, it's, it's not working if you sell them out time after time, I would say. Yeah. Um, wow. We've, uh, we are pushing forward with our pushback talks. You, do you listen to us a lot, Julie? Every Friday. At noon, every while I Friday. Walk my dog. So you're, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think? Are we doing fine? You Give guys us are something. Amazing. <laughs> I, your trajectory has been incredible. No, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, and I'm learning a lot. Which, you know, this counts as my break, though, Frederick. So. So, so you walk the dog and you listen to to us. Yeah, that's good. That's, so we have a lot of. I, I don't have a dog, but I. I have my bike. It's good enough. That's good. But the best part is, is when I forget that I actually know you both. And it just feels like I'm listening to a podcast. <laughs> wow, that's good. That's good. Okay, so what do you say? We should maybe, uh, you should you should go to Buenos Aires. And I'm supposed, I'm happy that you're using Push uh, in, uh, in Buenos Aires right now. And you want yeah, me to be on You're joining us, Frederick. You're joining us. In Buenos Aires. I'm going to be in a panel and I'm going to speak Spanish. Voy a hablar español Perfecto. todo el tiempo, para que sepas. ¿no? <laughs> Muy bien. Okay, so hasta, hasta la vista, hasta la próxima, Leilani. Uh, and hope to see no, you. No, no update on our, our Patreons, Frederick, or oh. any, any increase? Uh, yeah, we are. We're actually up to 20 Patreons right now and we are still at 93 countries uh, of listeners. And if you Canadians are uh, want to be, I can tell you, you're now down to number four. Sweden is still in the lead, UK number two, and now the US number three. And then we have Canada and then little jump down to Germany and the Netherlands and so on. But so Canada, you have to, if you want to beat the Americans, you better go, go, go now, Canada. <laughs> 
Yeah, go Canada. Go Canada. Or <laughs> walk the dog. Or no. No Be, dog. No dog. Have another cup of tea. Have another cup of tea. And thank you very much, Julie. And thank talk soon. Ciao. Thanks, Julieta. See you soon. Bye. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week.